1: Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the Professional Book Nerds Podcast presented by Overdrive. I'm having a rough morning, y'all. I think I've recorded this until like four times, no joke. It's not even morning. Why did I say morning? It's 3.30 on a Monday. <sighs> this is obviously recorded in advance because you are listening to this Monday morning. So I did not, you know, this is not a time traveling thing. Um... So today's episode is an interview I did with Chloe Gong about her new book, Our Violent Ends. This is the second in a duology. The first was These Violent Delights, which was a huge bestseller. Um, The books are a Romeo and Juliet retelling set in 1920s Shanghai with monsters feel like I don't really need to sell you to mo- much more on the book. 1920s Shanghai, Romeo and Juliet with monsters. Like, actual monsters. Um, also, Chloe was, like, in college when she wrote, or when she published These Violent Delights. So, I don't know what you were doing when we were 20. I was not publishing New York Times bestseller. So, good times. So, the books, though, are so good. I had so much fun chatting with Chloe about... Our Violent Ends, These Violent Delights, The Whole World That She Has Created, and um, I'm really looking forward to all of you listening to this episode. If you want to get a hold of the podcast, you can go to the website, professionalbooknerds.com. We are on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. You can always email us at professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. I think that's everything. Um, so yeah, so I hope you enjoy this episode. An interview with Chloe Gong on the Professional Book Nerds podcast so hi chloe thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today hello so excited to be here so can you start by giving our listeners a brief introduction to your new book our violent end
0: Yes, of course. So Our Violent Ends is the sequel to the first book, These Violent Delights, and the two of them are a duology that is basically a Romeo and Juliet retelling set in 1920 Shanghai, following these two rival heirs from gangs that are in a blood feud and they have a bit of a messy past between them um but when a monster rises in the city they have to work together to figure out what is happening before all of their people die which would not be great so yeah our violent ends basically continues on with the second half of the story when you know some monsters are back and bigger than ever there's civil war on the horizon and Roma and Juliet really really have to you know get themselves together and figure out what's going on and maybe end up in love at the same time maybe
1: we don't know yeah maybe (laughs) (laughs) yeah there's a lot there's a lot that's that's going on in this Mm. uh, in in the in the the two books um and yes there are like monsters lurking they're just like actual literal monsters just happening (laughs) happening um so what attracted you to 1920s shanghai as the setting for this kind of romeo and juliet retelling
0: mm-hmm. love this
1: question because i love
0: the 1920s just in general as an aesthetic right like i've always loved the glamour of it the i guess like messiness right because this was the interwar period like just things were happening everywhere all over the world just so much going on and specifically 1920 Shanghai, I had grown up with a lot of stories about it from my parents and from my relatives because, like, my whole family is from Shanghai. So they feel very, like, I've heard this comparison being made where um, Chinese people from Shanghai are kind of like New Yorkers, where they will never shut up about the fact that they're from New York and they're native to New York. found that's very true. <laughs> so they had always told a lot of stories about like oh my god this was the golden era like it was just this time that you know we'll we'll never really experience again so it's like so locked in history is this beautiful time so i've always had a like inclination towards wanting to, to like explore it and like you know set stories during that time and then the more i did like research into it the more i kind of also saw like the darker history behind it and these like ugly parts along with the good parts that kind of made it the aesthetic that it is right so as I was thinking like you know Romeo and Juliet retelling themes of like love and hatred actually a setting where like all of this beauty and glamour came from the like product of colonialism imperialism and like western intrusion really goes well with these kind of themes I'm trying to tackle and so I kind of just mushed it together and I was like huh this kind of works (laughs)
1: Uh it does. It sure does. It sure does. Uh, <laughs> actually I wanted to ask about uh your research a little bit and I, we should say I should say that um the your the first book These Violent Delights was published when you were still an undergrad student which is just sort of amazing. Um <laughs> on like multiple levels. But I I read I read in an interview you had previously done um that when you were in school, you did take advantage of some classes available, like yeah. monsters and literature and yes. East Asian diplomacy. <laughs> um, uh, can you talk a little bit more about like the research process you did in general for mm-hmm. the the duology? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I before I
0: started the first book, I think I did a lot of preliminary research that. Like, I did a lot of the heavy lifting to begin with because once I got onto the, like, second book, right, I kind of just dove right in because then I already had so much of, like, the historical basis that was already, like, living in my head. But before I dived into the first book, I kind of just really took advantage of the fact that like my my school had a giant library and I would just show up and just sit in like the 1920s China section and just kind of flip through like every book that like that was there and I ended up not using a lot of it because like you know it's a work of fiction and it can't turn into a textbook because that would just (laughs) not be the purpose I was trying to do. I was really fascinated by a lot of it I did want to put it in but then there was a certain point where my agent was like Chloe you might need to cut this it reads like a textbook and I was like yeah you're right you're right I did pull right from the textbook um so that was like I I think I was at a like huge advantage to even having those textbooks like accessible to me to just be able to have so much information like right at my fingertips um but I didn't actually take Uh, the academic classes that helped with the book until I actually had a first draft so I wrote the first book like of these violent delights um, between my freshman and sophomore year in the summer and freshman year classes were all like a lot of the core curriculum and then it was sophomore year where I started picking the things I was really interested in so that was the year I took like I think that was the year yeah that was the year i took like the monsters in film and literature east asian diplomacy intro to russian lit and i kind of just happened to be drawn to those things anyway because i was interested in it and because you know i write books about the things i'm interested in they kind of like merge together in the sense that like the class i was taking i was like oh wow i can i can use these things i can put insert them into my like manuscripts so you know there'd be certain things i pick up like in english classes there'd be discussions about how you know, monsters in literature are often, like, stand-ins for other things that, you know, are a fair, um, like, me- like physical manifestations of fears that you can't necessarily perceive, like, if you don't put a monster as a stand-in. I was like, I think that's so interesting. Let me lean into that more in my own manuscript. Or in, um, this was, I think, later, with would would the second book... Um, uh as i was revising it i was also i was still with that um i took another class from that same russian lit professor and just randomly on like a thursday night i was emailing like hello sir i have a question about russian jewels (laughs) this has nothing to do with class i just know that you're gonna know so please help me So a lot of the professors had to put up with my strange questions that were related to the class content. I was like, I'm just taking advantage of, you know, my academic like student life.
1: I mean, that is actually really smart, though. I think that's really smart. And (laughs) I mean, the classes are there. The professors are there. (laughs) Like you said, you write books about things you're interested in. You study things you're interested in. It all makes perfect sense. I think it's really smart. Uh, (laughs) um, And, you know, you said that there was stuff you cut because it came sort of sound like a textbook, but I I feel like even if it's not included, it probably helped kind of put things in context for Mm -hmm. you about what that time period was like. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. There were a lot of things where... Even if it didn't make its way in, having read it and then having kind of absorbed like, you know, these firsthand accounts of what they were witnessing in history or like the general atmosphere kind of helped me create the world. So even if I didn't like, you know, word for word pluck a um, description of a historical event, it was like having this knowledge made the world feel more real to me and then as I was writing it I could make it feel real to the reader even as I inserted you know fictional things like these fictional gangs and a monster
1: and a madness <laughs> monster and madness that kind of yeah that that describes yeah. describe things um <laughs> uh you have since graduated correct yes From? graduated this year yes awesome well first congratulations that's very Thank exciting <laughs> um was the process with our violent ends any easier since you don't have to try and balance schoolwork with the book?
0: It was, it kind of came it was a bit of a strange experience because I think our violent ends was a lot easier for me to write because I was so used to um like the dual life of like student life and um, you know, writing. Uh, But I also wrote the majority of Our Violent Ends when lockdown started. Hmm. So it was, like, a lot of, like, just new things suddenly thrown into, like, the mix of it. Um, So I I drafted it quite early on because I wanted it, like, I wanted to leave myself a lot of buffer time. And it was during the time where I was doing, like, Zoom classes from home. So I'm from New Zealand. So I flew 16 hours back home on a time. So Zoom classes are happening for me at like 3 a.m. And I was like, I'm not going oh to anymore. I'm just not doing it. <laughs> so I ended up just having like writing time in the daytime. I was just sitting on the couch, just writing all the time. So in that sense, it was absolutely um, so much easier for me to just, you know, write as an author. Um, and now, you know, now that I've graduated, I'm just, you know, full time doing authory stuff. So it is like it's felt so much more easier than having to juggle everything at once but you know then now we have a global pandemic
1: (laughs) I mean yeah that's not great yeah (laughs) pandemic's not great uh but (laughs) I yeah I could that's interesting I hadn't really considered um that you would have gone back to New Zealand at the start of the pandemic so Mm. yeah your time zones would have been a little different than everybody else's (laughs) a little rough (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I imagine there was like a lot of coffee if you were a coffee drinker. Uh- <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> and now we'll take a quick break for word from this week's sponsor. With the stresses of this last year, it's more important than ever to practice living healthier and happier lives. So what if a few moments was all it took to change your relationship with stress and anxiety transforming your life for the better. Our thoughts can be confusing enough. Meditation doesn't have to be. Headspace is your convenient dose of meditation, mindfulness, and sleep exercises to relieve stress and anxiety and help you get a good night's sleep, all in one app, making it easy to catch your breath and make time for your mental health. And it's one of the most science-backed meditation apps in the world, proving meditation works. A study proves in just two weeks, Headspace can reduce your stress by 14%. Personally, I have trouble in the middle of the night when anxiety, insomnia keeps me up and my mind will not stop talking. And so I love being able to fill that voice with the voice of Headspace, which will help me have a moment of peace among my chaos of my brain and help me fall back asleep. Find some Headspace at headspace.com slash PBN and get one month free of their entire meditation library. This is the best Headspace offer available. So go to headspace.com slash PBN today. That's headspace.com slash PBN. Okay, now this is a bit of a a tricky one because we don't want to spoil anything, but this is as you said, a Romeo and Juliet retelling and that particular Shakespeare play is not known for having (laughs) a happy ending. (laughs) So, um, I guess, you know, how, how do you, you work through that? Because just again, like it's Romeo and Juliet and you you put your own twist on it, of course, Hmm. but Um, Again, it's not known for having a happy ending. (laughs) I love the way you put that. Like, hmm, I'm just, I mean, (laughs) like, (laughs) I don't, I don't want to spoil anything for readers, but you know, it's, it's, it's very clear from, you know, that you're very open and transparent about how this is a Romeo and Juliet retelling. And so, you know, how much do readers go in expecting it to be that way all the way through? And then Are there surprises along the way? Just sort of like how you kind of navigate that in general. Yeah. I
0: think the thing I love so much about doing retellings is that readers do go in with expectations. And I actually, I really love that because then it gives me the chance to subvert them and actually bring surprise that way. So I know a lot of times people are like, oh, well, if you do a retelling, isn't everything going to be predictable, right? And to that, it's like, actually, no, like, it's actually really fun to, if you're doing a retelling as opposed to something completely, like, original storyline-wise, right? People go in being like, oh, well, this is what I already know of the original source, and therefore, these plot events, this, this, this is what I'm expecting. And then I can kind of work with that and go, oh, well, okay, I'm going to give you this one and this one. But then just as you're comfortable, I'm going to change the last one, right? And I think that's so fun because I love Romeo and Juliet so much. And there are certain parts of it that I think could be redone even further to then kind of lean into what I'm trying to do, right? Because mm. I love the original Shakespearean themes of it, but I, when I do it in like These Violent Delights and Our Violent Ends, I've kind of put a completely new lens on it. So I can take some things as they are and then some other things because of this new world I've dropped the characters into it would make more sense to go another route and I think it's so fun I keep saying that word fun I'm, I'm sure reading <laughs> something okay, very it's fun more okay. than crying and like <laughs> screaming at the pages but I think it's so fun to then kind of like take pivots that they don't expect and they're like oh okay I see what you've done here compared to the original source and compared to now what you're trying to achieve so all that to say like I think just because it's a retelling it doesn't guarantee anything right like I can pivot on certain things I can choose not to pivot on certain things so you know you never know what you're gonna end up getting it's still a surprise
1: (laughs) it is still a surprise no that is very true and that is a good way of of describing it and explaining it. Um I, I think you're right though. I love retellings as well for that same reason because especially if it's a story you love and know so well, like Romeo and Juliet, and then you start reading something and you're like, Oh, okay, 1920s, Shanghai, Blood Feuds. I am in. This is fantastic. Oh, wait, there are monsters in this <laughs> Romeo and Juliet retelling. Okay. <laughs>
0: and it's just sort of exactly. like
1: keeps going from there and there are those like similar themes and things that happen but you do put a very unique spin on it which i enjoy. Oh, I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um now i think i have heard that you are working on a third book which sort of set in the same universe is that true? Yes, i have a spin-off duology coming
0: so it is set in the same world and it follows a character that is in the main cast of These Violent Lights and Our Violent Ends. And the reason why we just haven't announced who it is yet is because we're waiting for Our Violent Ends to come out first so we're not like, you know, putting more information into the storyline before people have even read the second book. But I'm very excited for that one because it is kind of like, I've always been a bit of a genre mixer anyway, but this one I kind of just threw genre out the window. I was like, I'm not gonna... You guys are going to have such a hard time categorizing this, but it's fine. <laughs> I kind of describe it as like a Republican era sea drama meets a Marvel movie. So it's, I, I have, I'm still You're in right. the final edits of it right now. I have a lot of fun with it, but I'm very excited because, you know, I love like world expansions and I think, you know, These mountains of Lights is a duology. Like it feels mm-hmm. the most right as a duology. Then there's so much else to work with. So I'm like, oh, spin off duology. Okay. <laughs>
1: No, I think I always love when, when authors do that, where they have their own where a character um, that you have met in one book who is not, like you said, ma- like main cast, but not mm. the main character yes. in that book. And then you get all excited because they have their own book yeah. coming. So yeah. I think it's great. So yeah. I, <laughs> I will be waiting for Pub Day and shortly yes. thereafter to find out what it's about. Yes. I also may. Full 2022. I, I also may just like ask you when we're done recording, and I'll just keep it secret, but yeah. it that's entirely <laughs> possible. The secrets too. that the listeners can't get too. Uh, uh, um and I and I think you know, like having to categorize it, that's a that's a problem for your publisher, not exactly. you. So exactly, exactly. That's the marketing team's problem. That's their problem. You just write the book, they'll figure it exactly. out. Uh, <laughs> um So I'm curious because you did, you know, write this book uh, when you were so, you know, not like so young, but you've been (laughs) writing for a while. I know from your website, do you have any um, suggestions or like recommendations for writers in their teens or twenties who may be listening and are interested in, in looking to get published? Mm -mm.
0: I think the first and foremost thing is to two things. The first thing is that especially when you start writing at a young age, you have to just keep going because a lot of times it can get frustrating when you start and then you're thinking, Oh, like my craft doesn't look how I want it to look. Right. But you have so much time, like so, so much time. And you need that time to keep going and growing and getting it to a point where you've understood your craft well enough to get the ideas and stories that you have in your head out. And writing is like I know that this is cliche but writing is a muscle right it's such a muscle the more you use it and the more you kind of hone it in it kicks in faster and faster each time as you go in um but with all that said the second point is that writers and especially younger writers have to stay confident because I think it's so easy when you're younger to go oh like you know people don't think I can do this or oh I can do this at a later time which is true genuinely if you wanted to like pick it up later there's so much time right but because there's this like you know there's this idea that young writers aren't as good that young writers are just you know kind of not professional enough all of that right it is a major like burden to bear if you're trying to like break into the industry when you're younger and of course like you can do it later on as well like when most people do it but if you think you're ready when you are ready then you should absolutely do it there's no reason to wait if you don't want to wait and as long as you believe in your craft you can get there and
1: flourish yeah there you go (laughs) (laughs) no I I think that's that's true um that like readers and the industry probably like I imagine you weren't necessarily like taken seriously when Mm. you first started querying for an agent because of your age
0: it's it's an issue I think I'm just so lucky that like my agent and my editors now are like you know they take me just as an equal like my age is just something that's like another factor just like someone else who you know works two other full-time jobs or have like have they have four kids like it's just another factor like that to take into account right but there are definitely like industry professionals out there who won't take you seriously if you're younger and they're like oh well you know you're just a student like why are you writing or like oh you're just a 19 year old like you there's no way your craft is good in the slightest I don't want like a child prodigy right there are people who don't find anything wrong with having those opinions and it's like In that case you know those aren't the people you want to work with anyway like you just got to find your champions
1: that's true that's true um that said because you know you you write for a young adult audience Mm -hmm. you read young adult and you also are like so close to that demographic Mm -hmm. what you know like what is your experience Mm -hmm. as someone of that age writing like for that age it's it's a strange experience
0: because it's very fun sometimes to be able to so directly connect to my readers right because I think the way that they interact with me is kind of different to how they might interact with you know their favorite author who is you know in the older generation because they're they're not gonna like keyboard smash to like Cassandra Clare like it's just (laughs) it would be weird right (laughs) they could could, but she probably wouldn't reply (laughs) right whereas yeah like I, I find it I find it very very fun to be like you know to just interact with readers in the way that I would interact with my friends because we feel so close right but then I think there's that added component onto that that you know the con of me being so easily connected to my readers is that it's I have a lot of, like, imposter syndrome with the rest of my peers because they're all older, not all older, but, like, most of them are older and they feel wiser and they feel more mature. Mm -hmm. So it's very hard for me as a, like, 22-year-old older to kind of wrap my head around the fact that, oh, I'm equals with this person. It always feels like I have to, like, defer down to them because I'm Mm -hmm. like... You know, I'm, I'm so, I don't know anything, but like, you know, I try to have to remind myself, like, yes, I do know what I'm doing.
1: I'm a professional. I can do this. So it, it's a, you know, it's a two sides to it. That's fair. That's fair. That would be, I think, hard to struggle with. Um, yeah. If you have these people you write in the same genre, it's, you know, the YA book community is not, I mean, it's big, but it's also, um, people know each other. And so, yeah, Mm -hmm. trying to feel on the same level would be tricky. So on your website, you have this uh, in your bio, I think it is, you have this line about how you devoured the entire YA section of your local library, which is then when you started writing your own novels at 13 to keep yourself entertained, which I just (laughs) love uh so because I work (laughs) for Overdrive and we are a library company Mm. I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit more about your own personal experiences with libraries growing up because it sounds like you were a big library Mm. user
0: yes oh I absolutely was because I think it had a lot to do with the fact that I grew up in New Zealand so we get like you know physical books come to us very slowly um most times like in bookstores I wouldn't actually find the new releases that I was going for but the libraries would have it. So I was in and out of the libraries quite literally every week. Um I would come out with like a huge stack of books like even taller than I was. I would always get comments as I was walking out. People <laughs> would be like, "Are you going to read all of those?" And I'd be like, "Yes, I am." <laughs> um oftentimes I would have a huge huge stack and I would finish it by like the Wednesday, and then my mom would be like, "We just went to the library. Like, can you please <laughs> read slower?" <laughs> like, oh. Yeah. So it was libraries was so important to me for like my love of reading. It was just so much more accessible um, in a way that the bookstores weren't. It was so much more accessible for me as a very fast reader because I had such a high turnover rate. Um, and you know, the libraries in Auckland were so amazing too with keeping mm. everything up to date and I was a Libby app user as well <laughs> you know, if I ran a
1: physical book I was getting the ebooks so very it was quintessential we like to hear that so I have had so much fun talking to you I just have one question left which is what do you hope readers take away from reading our violent ends Ooh, oh good question you're welcome <laughs>
0: i i hope that they come away with a sense of like hope and a i guess hope like i hope they go away with it feeling like they have read a story about love because i feel like this duology as a whole and especially our violent ends is about like how do you love in a place of hate how what do you do when it's actually easier to hate than love? And you want to choose that instead, right? It's very Romeo and Juliet, obviously. Mm-hmm. Like, I had to go back to the heart of the play. Um, and, you know, the tagline that I write on the copies of and it Ends* is Dare to Love. So I think that's kind of captures the essence of the book. And it's the main,
1: the main message, I would say. It's <laughs> great. Chloe, thank you so much for coming on the podcast to chat with me. thank you so much for having me this is a joy readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode on overdrive.com and our library friends can purchase these titles in marketplace professional book nerds is proud to be an evergreen podcast signature program to learn about other evergreen podcasts visit evergreenpodcasts.com our podcast is produced recorded and edited by jill grudenwald and presented by overdrive To learn more, visit ProfessionalBookNerds.com. Bonjour, this is Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. I'm Andrew Pryor, and every week I bring you the wonderful and fabulous people involved in French food, whether they're here in France like me or from around the world. Each week, we dive into a specific topic be it a French dish, an ingredient, or a French cuisine cooking technique. My guests are all about French food. So come join me on Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. Bon app.